phone or texting to each other the whole time. But I was really into this debate last night. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was. I did a, a little bit. I think that uh, you know a lot of people are out there live tweeting, doing the the play by play, and so there's probably not that much need for us to be doing that. But I think the uh, interesting part is going to be sort of breaking it down, analyzing what really happened. So ten candidates last night. Exactly. Another ten tonight. Um, uh, in my in Miami, but I'm curious your perception because you and I really haven't had a chance to speak much since last night. So, what were some of your takeaways? What were things that resonated with you? Uh, I liked the hot mic moment. I thought there should be <laughs> I thought there should be more of that. You know, right? <laughs> like we have here. Uh, exactly, exactly. Uh, that was uh, that was kind of kind of wild. But uh, you know, it was a couple of things stood out for me. One was that. They didn't seem to go after Donald Trump all that much. I thought it was going to be, personally, I thought it was going to be certainly a scramble among all these candidates to distinguish themselves, but I thought they would do that at least more so by trying to go after the president. And I really didn't get that kind of that kind of takeaway from it afterwards. Like, wow, they really beat up on the administration. I didn't feel that way. Yeah, and it was Amy Klobuchar who was the first person. I'm looking at my notes from last night, yeah. and it was around the time early on when she was talking about making community college free. But then the second reference was about a quarter after, 16 minutes after. I expected that there would be a lot of Trump bashing as people were trying to define themselves the way Biden did when he first announced. Yeah. I mean, because this is ultimately certainly there there uh, are 20 people, more than 20 people in the field, only 20 people qualified the, for the, mm -hmm. the debates. But this is really about setting yourself up as who is going to be the person to really knock out Donald Trump. And I just did not feel like they were as focused on that. Now, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they talked more about policy and less about, it was less about scoring those zingers, although they did have a couple of those, Klobuchar included, had oh, yes. a big one. About, of course, I'm not gonna say it the right way uh, now, but about uh, yeah, something uh, like tweeting we, in your bathrobe at 5 a.m. Yeah, something about like, we shouldn't be making policy in mm -hmm. our bathrobes mm -hmm. at 5 a.m., something like that. I mean, you know, a couple of people got in a, a couple of elbows there, certainly, but uh, I think it was a little bit uh, more focused on each other, and also, look, it's really, hard to get much of anything done with 10 people on the stage. Oh, yeah. And in fact, the other thing I was paying particular attention to was who seemed to have the most airtime, not because they were interrupting others, but because they were being called on. And in that first segment, when it was the discussion of the economy, it felt like it was Elizabeth Warren that yeah. she was getting the most. I think that from from what I saw from the, the time breakdowns, uh, she was actually more active in the first part of the debate mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. a little bit uh, less so in the second part of the debate. I'm trying to recall who was the overall uh, uh, the person who had the overall most speaking time, I believe it to be Cory Booker. And that's that's my recollection. Was so Cory was up there in like the top two or three. Yeah, like a little over 10 minutes total speaking time. And and we are going to be taking calls in the second half hour of the show today. want to give you the number because uh, we're going to uh, – we really want to hear your impressions of last night's debate and also other uh, – uh, news that has happened today. That number is 212-209-2877. I am curious. We're going to get to our first guest in just a moment, and we'll ask her about it, uh, him about it, excuse me, mm -hmm. um, what your impression was of Bill de Blasio. Because whenever we've discussed him on this show, we get a number of phone calls. And I really want to know what our listeners felt about 
the issues he discussed, his tone, uh, his demeanor, his interruptions. Right. I think that a lot of, you saw a lot of people from outside New York saying, oh, you know, he came off as kind of a, a pushy <laughs> New Yorker. He was interrupting. He was loud. He was, some people use the word obnoxious, I believe. And it's funny because if you go back to his sort of introductory uh, uh, biographical video, he says, you know, the thing about New Yorkers is they look the same whether they love you or they're completely aggravated with you. I think he used a different word. I'm not sure if it's on the list behind me. <laughs> I think, trying to, I think you know, it is. Family, family radio program here. But, uh, you know, I think he made an impression. I think he, I think he did have a couple of moments there where he did get some attention, uh, considering how, how far down he is in the polls compared to people like uh, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, other people who are on that stage. Now, we don't position ourselves as political experts, but our first guest does. That is correct. And I'm actually very, very excited to, uh, to talk to him. And by the way, I just want to remind you guys super, super quick, if you are not a member of our WBAI Buddy program, you should be. That's when you can make a recurring donation to help us out here. Keep all your favorite programs on the air. Jeff is a BAI buddy. And when you go to the beach, you'll have your BAI tote bag to put everything in. Yes, yes. And it is a quality item. Strongly recommend it. Give us a call, 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. You can also go to WBAI.org or you can just text WBAI to 414. So we're going to jump into our first guest right now. We're very happy to have with us on the program Ken Sherrill. He is Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Hunter College. He chairs the Higher Education Pack and serves on the Departmental Services Committee of the American Political Science Association. Professor Sherrill, welcome to Driving Forces. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. And congratulations, by the way, on uh, receiving a big honor uh, from controller Scott Stringer at the uh, LGBTQ Pride celebration earlier this week. Saw the uh, photos on Instagram. Looked like it was a good time. Yeah, it was a great time. It was, it was, uh, I was you know, it was an immense honor, and uh, uh, it was an incredible party. And Scott uh, did a great job. Uh, you know, all of the hosts did. Uh, I'm told there was an open bar, but I never found it. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. we will. Uh, we will have to. Uh, we'll have to make up for that somehow. We'll have you in studio. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'd like to have drinks with you sometime. Perfect. Well, before <laughs> okay. before we get to that serious business, though, right. the uh, so the debate. You have a chance to uh, catch up on on that. Uh, check it out. What did you think? Uh, I, I I thought. Uh, you know, it wasn't terribly useful uh, for for uh, I think for the average citizen. Uh, uh, for somebody like me, who's a uh, candidate watcher, uh, you know, it was like like being a, a judge at a beauty pageant. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you 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 you, you uh, so you you know you uh, that is. You you watch for the purpose uh, of evaluating uh, the performance of candidates, uh, rather than for the purpose of helping you make your, make up your mind about how to vote. Um, and I think that actually may be, you know, the case for an awful lot of viewers at this point in the campaign is uh, they don't know who the candidates are. Uh, uh, the information about them isn't easy to get to get at all, uh, and, and uh, this is a chance to uh, 
get a first impression uh, to, just to see what they're like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, I think anybody who decided how to vote for president on the basis of what they saw last night was, is foolish. So, Ken, what were the most memorable moments, though, of last night's debate? What What have you thought about most? You know, what stuck with you from last night? I think the first thing was seeing so many candidates speak in Spanish. Uh, I, I think the first one was Booker, and that was uh, you know, quite a surprise because you know, one just didn't expect uh, anybody. It, it, it actually, it actually was Beto because there was that. Vid- was it Beto? Yeah, it was Beto because there's the uh, the shot that sticks out in my mind as you see Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker looking at him as uh, as he spoke in Spanish. Huh. There were, I, I, yeah, there were a couple of people, right? But there, there that, were several. That, that is, yeah, that is a good point. It was uh, yeah. Beto O'Rourke, right? Uh, uh, Julian Castro, Cory Booker. Am I missing anybody? That's what I recall. So, so Ken, um, you know, yeah. one of the things that you had just said is, you know, it's sort of like uh, being a judge in a, a beauty contest, and Celeste, of course, knows about those. Uh, totally. But uh, <laughs> so I'm in radio. So, so uh, you know, it's about impressions. So as you, you know, if you turn down the volume and you were not listening to what people were saying, and you were looking at, you know, their demeanor. Were there any striking moments for you? Because, you know, for instance, I was personally, I was incredibly impressed with de Blasio's performance last night and what he said, but also what I saw, you know, in his face and in his mannerisms as being coming across as passionate. And I'm not saying I'm supporting de Blasio. It's just that's something that struck with me. What about you? What were you know, what were some of the impressions you had visually? Uh The visually, uh, there was one moment uh, when when, uh, I I saw the height differences of a candidate. (laughs) Uh, And uh, particularly uh, Julian Castro... uh, Take on uh, substantially smaller guys and uh, beat them up. Yeah, it's kind of a almost like a, a Marco Rubio uh, situation. Marco Rubio, say versus Jeb Bush or, or Donald Trump, both pretty tall guys in the Republican yeah. cycle. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, and that you know that uh, uh, it, uh, Rubio Castro was uh very aggressive last night uh and, and very forceful uh much more than i'd ever seen him before that that was a a surprise in fact from my point of view a pleasant surprise so one of the other uh, one of the other take the, oh go ahead ken i'm sorry uh, the other thing and this this is very cynical of me but uh what was thinking uh of how uh, de Blasio and Booker uh, were much better as candidates than they were as mayors. Oh, interesting, interesting. 
So the other thing, I went into this debate thinking, you know, and the Times had pointed this out in uh, one of their uh, critiques, that um, I expected this was going to be a race to the left, that you were going to be seeing sort of like what I've been witnessing in the Queen's DA's race, where everyone was uh-huh. basically competing for the mantle of progressiveness. Yeah. But it didn't come across that way to me. Your thoughts on, you know, where, you know, was this, you know, the... Uh, part of you know a progressive campaign for you know them trying to position themselves that way or you know was it in your view trying to suggest we are going to be stronger than the current president uh, first of all i don't think the candidates are as far to the left as uh people might think uh, the uh but I thought they followed a very wise strategy, and one that I think uh, uh, the candidates tonight would be wise to, to emulate. Uh, they, by and large, ignored Trump. Uh, they, they, and the fact of the matter is that the people watching the debate last night were very interested in politics overwhelmingly Democrats, and they know who Trump is. And uh, they didn't waste their time beating him up. Uh, Instead, they focused on issues. And they tried to identify themselves with issues, and they tried to give people some sense of what their priorities were and what they cared about. Uh, they, They were very focused. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 interesting. I just wanted to jump in there for a second. And because we were uh, at the beginning of the program talking about the fact that they did not seem to uh, uh, be fighting for the mantle of who could beat up on Donald Trump the most. It's interesting that you see that as a a good strategy. I can see why people who are uh, watching the program, as you say, these are people who probably care about politics. They're already interested in the election. They already probably are, uh, you know, uh, Democrats, unless, of course, you know, the president didn't seem too amused by it, according to Twitter. He called but, it boring. Yeah, he called it boring. And then he had some... Well, you know why he thought it was boring? Because Nobody didn't... mentioned his name. <laughs> and, there, and there is nothing that upsets him more than being ignored. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, so Celeste, I guess we have to make a decision tonight, do, today. Do we mention his name anymore? Well, I think we're, we've, we've already <laughs> they mentioned call it. No, no, no. Uh, no, no. It's, it, it's he whose name cannot be uttered. <laughs> uh, Professor Sherrill, though, do you think people are uh, looking for, at tonight's debate, I think that a lot of what Joe Biden has been doing is trying to set himself up as the guy who can really sort of bring it to Donald Trump, who's not afraid to be a scrapper. He does that whole, you know, Scranton tough guy, uh, you know, right. man of man of the people thing. Uh, do you think that there's going to be more talk about Trump tonight, or do you think that that there's going to be a deliberate attempt to to stay away from it? My guess is that all of tonight's candidates watched last night, and they saw what worked and they saw what didn't work. And that they're calibrating to to emulate the things that work. In some cases, saying, "Oh, I can do it better than this one," so so forth. But uh, uh, I I I think that if if I were advising Biden 
Biden, which I'm not, uh, I, I would uh, have him come over as being a statesman. Uh, I, you know, I think, you know, like Ronald Reagan uh, that he wasn't going to talk about his opponent's youth. Right. Uh, Biden is, is best off taking his advantage of his being an old pro, which is how everybody knows him. Uh, and and uh, really, that's his strength. Um, I, I, I think that, yeah, yes, Biden loves being scrappy, uh, um, but he, he might, in fact, show off the wrong side of his age by, by being scrappy. And uh, I, I think uh, the, the big issue about Biden uh, is his age. Oh, really? That's interesting. Well, because and as so many people, uh, younger voters are coming into the uh, into the electorate to the at least the qualified voting population, whether or not they show up. We'll see. Although uh, there was pretty good, uh, pretty good participation this year's midterms. Um, by the way, if you're just joining us here, you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM and uh, Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons talking about the Democratic presidential debates with Hunter College Professor Emeritus Ken Sherrill. And Professor Sherrill, I, I want to ask you, uh, we've talked about a few of the candidates, but what do you think about how Elizabeth Warren did last night? Oh, she did wonderfully. I, I, I thought that that she may well have been the big winner last night. Really? What makes, uh, you, what makes you say so? She was totally cool, calm, and collected. She uh, showed you know, real command of the issues. And, you know, normally the only uh, emotion one sees out of Elizabeth Warren is anger. Uh, you know, anger at, at the uh, undeserving rich and powerful and and so on. And the moment when she started talking about her family not having money and her not being able to go to school, uh, to go to college and then being, you know, lucky. And so, uh, uh, there, there was a touch of, 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 uh, uh, you know, you know, it was, it wasn't, you know, like Hillary crying or something of that sort. But, but you know, in her face and in the, tone, the sound of her voice, uh, there was a winsomeness, a, a gentleness that one never sees in her. And even, and when, I, even when she wrapped up, uh, where she said, I'll fight for you as hard as I fight for my whole family, it seemed uh -huh. very, you know... Um, Unwavering. I don't. I can't come up with the right word. You know. It was, yeah, sort of resolute. Was, yes, but yes. Or I think that what I don't know, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Professor Cheryl. But I think maybe there was a certain, uh, a certain level maybe of connection there, or or some sort of authenticity that there was a, a compassion there yeah, exactly. that wasn't wasn't sort of like yes. very scripted talking points, robotic. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, have 
you can imagine them doing time tests with the stopwatch to say something perfectly packaged in 15 seconds or whatever. It's hard to right, it's it's, right. Hard, it's hard to stand out in, on a uh, stage that big. No, but but she came out came over as being human in, in a way that uh, uh, most candidates didn't. I, I mean, with, with the exception uh, of showing their aggressiveness. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it it didn't turn into a cockfight, and I think a lot of people wanted to see one. But but uh, uh, you you uh, you you really uh, did not get us get much of a sense uh, of a candidate as as a person. Uh, Again, there's strange things. I mean, if if I weren't an observer of New York politics, for example, I would have been very moved by what de Blasio had to say about his father. Yeah, what? that was that was a major moment in the debate when he spoke about his father having served in World right. War II and having come home with both physical and psychological damage that That's ultimately right. led to him taking his own life. And, and, and you would there. think you would think that he was a kid who loved his father. Uh, yet we know that his mother divorced his father, and that uh, De Blasio took. Changed his last name from from his father's last name to his mother's last name. Right. And uh, you know, I I give an Oscar to that performance. It was it was very skilled. But uh, you you know, in a in a debate where there weren't ten people on on, and where people had had done research on De Blasio. He could have been eviscerated for doing that. Right. Sort of not the you couldn't pull that off in a mayoral primary debate the same way you could pull it off in a, a right. very and you big national. You can't pull it off in a 10 person debate the way you can in a four or five person candidate. Right. Now that's that's an interesting point. And also, frankly, I mean, if if people were trying to stay on the issues and come across as as uh, having leadership qualities and being above that kind of fray, I mean, how do you take off on somebody's a story about somebody's father like that. I just don't see how. That's you... right. I, I, I mean, other than to really, I, I, you know, and it would be it would be shocking, uh, but perhaps politically effective, to say, "Don't give us this bull," because look at how you treated him. You know. Yeah, no, very, very interesting point. So, um, Professor Cheryl, we are uh, going to have to wrap with you, although I really would love oh. to talk about this more. And I, I hope we will. Right. Um, but where can where can people find out more about you and uh, your work and your uh, political research and thoughts? Uh, well, they can always Google me. Uh, uh, I, I'm on uh, Twitter as Ken Cheryl. Uh, uh, I'm on uh, Facebook as Ken Cheryl, and I'm on uh, Instagram as Ken Cheryl seven zero seven five. And I've never known why they gave me that. Name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you well, know, I mean, we uh, we do we do appreciate it, uh, Professor Ken okay, Cheryl of Hunter College. Fun. Thank you so okay. much. Really appreciate sure. your time. Stay in touch. Right, you too. Bye. You too. 
Uh, well, that was that was interesting. Some good points there by uh, Professor Cheryl. He uh, said a, a few things that are, you know, frankly, I didn't think of that I, I were kind of enlightening to me. Yeah, and we didn't get to ask him, but it, you know, one of the things that also resonated for me was uh, Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentioning, and I can't remember how far into the conversation, into the debate this was, but mentioning the murders of African American trans women in this country and mm-hmm. mentioning trans. And, you know, I immediately thought, I don't think I've heard this in one of the presidential debates before about, you know, the trans issue. I might, it might have taken place. But then I, I was following the, the Times live blogging as well, and someone pointed that out too, that they had not. Yeah, there were a few. There were a few uh, uh, things about this, about this particular debate that were different. Uh, just the sheer number, obviously, of contenders. The fact that they have to have two, uh, two nights of the debate. People, uh, as Professor Cheryl meant, uh, mentioned earlier, speaking Spanish. Uh, the uh, the number of women that are participating in this primary as uh, as major contenders, very big deal. Which became a point last night, which I want to ask our next guest about. Yes. One of the comments that was that uh, Amy Klobuchar had made after a comment about uh, oh, uh, supporting women's rights or women's right to choose, uh, which was such a, a, a key moment for me because, you know, I'm not looking forward to saying, oh, good, I want to hear the zingers. I actually want to learn about the candidates. But when they do have a good zinger uh, after correcting, you know, something, a misimpression that's given, you know, it resonates with me. So I guess uh, we'll go to our next guest. Would okay. you like to, uh, because you've uh, been talking with this lovely lady. Yes, actually, this is uh, this is going to be cool. And we are very lucky to have with us right now, Nikki Schwab. She's a Washington correspondent for the New York Post. She covers the White House, Congress, and the 2020 election cycle. Uh, before this, she covered the 2016 cycle and the first year of uh, President Trump's time in the Oval Office for the daily Mail. She uh, wrote two D.C. political gossip columns. Uh, one was Yays and Nays at the Washington Examiner. She also wrote Washington Whispers at U.S. News and World Report. She has degrees from American University and the University of Pittsburgh. She is the daughter of two journalists, and she has a Boston Terrier named Charlie Schwab, which is the real reason we have her on the program. Welcome to Driving Forces, Nikki. Thank you guys for having me and, and mentioning Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so that's, well, first of all, let's just, let's just get to that right away. Who did Charlie think won the debate last night? You know, it's sad because he's actually at my parents' house in Pennsylvania right now, so I didn't get a chance to sort of, you know, look into her barking and her sniffing and all of that. Um, but, but I would say that I thought the candidate who probably had sort of the best night or, or at least what I think will see the biggest jump uh, for is Julian Castro. I think that he, uh, you know, he's he sort of an underdog for a long time. If you recall, he was the Democrats' sort of big 2012 convention speaker, sort of billed as the next Obama, but then he never ran for president in the 2016 cycle. So he's sort of forgotten about. And if you also recall, he was a mayor of San Antonio, then he moved to HUD, and then whenever President Obama was out of office, he hasn't been in political life for the last couple of years. But he has a couple of you know, really strong moments, I thought, last night, Especially in that, especially in that sort of back and forth with Beto O'Rourke over immigration policy. Yeah, that was that was a very interesting exchange, and I think uh, from from what I could tell, a lot of people thought that uh, that O'Rourke got his clock cleaned on that. He just did not come off uh, did not come off very prepared, uh, very very uh, very deep on policy on that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that you know Beto has sort of come out and said, you know, maybe we don't want to change the law. Better would prefer is that you know you just don't prosecute people that are crossing the border, so you don't actually need to like change the uh, the ink, if you will. You you just don't have the DOJ go after these people. 
Uh, and, and he didn't articulate that. He didn't actually fight back and say, you know, this is the reason why I believe in my position. He's very wishy-washy. And so Castro was able to be like, you know, like, you don't understand this. Like, you're supposed to be from a border area. And, you know, these guys are both from Texas. Uh, so they're sort of fighting for the Texas vote, even though I'm not sure it will go Democratic in 2020. Uh, and they, you know, it was, it was one of the most interesting parts of the night because Beto was sort of billed as sort of Obama-esque in many ways, as was Castro a couple of years ago. And, and I think he had probably the weakest performance when it came to sort of the expectations game. And I actually want to correct something I said a short while ago. So I'm looking through my notes. It actually was Castro who was the first person on stage last night to mention transgender individuals. I, was, I thought it was Corey because he had talked about uh, the uh, African-American trans murders, uh, but it was Castro who brought it up. Tell me, Nikki, a little about your perception of, uh, you know, of Klobuchar's performance performance last night. Uh, what, you know, did she come out? Did you learn anything about her? Was this all stuff you had heard before? Do you think that she succeeded or failed to get her message across? Well, I think she had one very important breakout moment, and that was whenever Governor Inslee of Washington basically took credit for uh, being a champion of reproductive rights. And Senator Klobuchar, she, you know, got right in there, asserted herself, and said, you know, there are three women on the stage. And that, you know, optically is, is pretty crazy because we've never had that many uh, female candidates for, for either party that were running. And, you know, obviously there'll be more female candidates on stage tonight. So, you know, that's sort of a big thing uh, then and there. But then, you know, she went after him and said, you know, hey, like, women... In the, in the Congress have really been, you know, sort of fighting, especially against President Trump, on these sort of abortion issues, obviously. And then I actually got a chance to be in a gaggle with her after the debate, and she went a little bit further. She, you know, she, she said that she was, you know, pretty annoyed by Governor Inslee making that comment. And she brought up the fact that, you know, it was women candidates, uh, women candidates that in the House that basically got the Democrats the House back. It was sort of that whole, you know, parade of AOC and everybody else and Omar and a ton of moderate female candidates, too, that have done a lot. So she really wanted, you know, people to understand how much credit they should be giving women, especially in the area of reproductive rights. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz. We're talking to Nikki Schwab of the New York Post about last night's and tonight's Democratic presidential primary debates. And Nikki, just staying on that for one more second, I just got to use this word on the show. It's a word we use a lot here. Did you feel like there was any mansplaining going on last night? Well, I think that Inslee moment was sort of the ultimate mansplaining. Like, sort of take yeah. credit for, uh, uh, for for what women have been fighting for for, for decades. And I, I know he was trying to sort of point to the fact that he's an executive, so he has a very sort of different record than anyone who has served in a, a legislature, or, you know, if you will. But it was, it was sort of eye-roll-inducing, um, I thought, so... And uh, just one more, one more quick thing about uh, uh, women on the stage. We spoke a little earlier about Elizabeth Warren. We have not spoken about Tulsi Gabbard, the congresswoman from Hawaii. She is, uh, she does stand out. She's a, a veteran, for example. Um, I think she would be the first uh, Pacific Islander uh, to oh, yeah. be in the uh, the White House. The first Hindu also to be in the White House. Uh, Howard and, and- Howard Dean, who we've had on this program though, called her consummately unqualified for the job. Just said she shouldn't she shouldn't be in this field at all. Doesn't belong. Did you think she did anything to to convince anybody she's a worthwhile candidate? Uh, for my understanding, it she was one of the most googled candidates after the fact because she 
doesn't really have a national profile. Like, me and Washington have known her for years because she was she was considered one of these sort of up-and-comers. Uh, and then, if you recall, in the last cycle, she made a lot of headlines because she basically uh, rejected the DNC, uh, quit her job there, and decided to become a Bernie Sanders supporter, and then was out on the campaign trail with him. So that, you know, made waves, uh, you know, four years ago. And now, standing on her own two feet, one of the most interesting things that happened last night was that her sister was tweeting out of her own account and complaining about the amount of time she was given. So I went up to her afterward, and I asked her about it. I was like, well, do you feel like you've got enough time to really uh, to talk about these things? And she just said, no, and I walked away. <laughs> and I think that she didn't really want to have to explain the fact that, you know, her sister was grumbling uh, about the fact that, you know, it wasn't even necessarily that, you know, women weren't getting enough time, because if you do recall at the very beginning of the debate, the first person to get a second question was Senator, Senator Elizabeth Warren. So it wasn't like it was, you know, the, the women were all being being quiet and not really engaging. But I thought that was sort of interesting as a, as a social media moment, that someone, you know, mid-debate would be upset about that, and then she would have to answer for it in the room all night. And she was trying to sort of dodge it, it was kind of funny. So as you look ahead to tonight's debate, you know, considering the candidates that we're watching this uh, that are going to be on stage tonight, you know, what is something that you think that they were most uh, focused on that, uh, that took place last night, besides the fact that you have to turn off your mics when you walk away from uh, <laughs> moderating? Uh, but, yeah, perhaps not try that again. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, what do you think they learned from last night's debate that's going to affect their stage presence tonight? I think they're going to be prepared a little bit better, I would think. Uh, one moment that I thought was really interesting was whenever uh, all the candidates were asked to sort of raise their hands if they supported doing away with private health insurance. And the only two people that, you know, very much asserted that they wanted that position and very much firmly so were Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bill DeFalcio of New York. Uh, and I, so I think that the candidates tonight will be, you know, obviously more prepared to answer those questions. I think they'll also look at, for instance, there was that moment when Beto O'Rourke was asked about uh, whether or not he'd be okay with a you know, 17 or 70 percent uh, tax rate on the on the rich, something that you know Alexander Ocasio Cortez exploded, and he sort of mumbled through that question and didn't really answer, and you know yada yada yada. I think that you know looking looking at a sort of that type of performance, these Democrat, Democrats would be much more prepared to, uh, to answer those defining questions about their policies. And as far as uh, Joe Biden tonight, obviously there's going to be a very, very strong spotlight on him, also on Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. uh, should be, and we should certainly include Kamala Harris in that uh, in that group, the sort of those three. Um, is there something that Biden has to do or has to not do tonight in order to come away from this? Uh, well, he is obviously very experienced, but if you think back, I mean, you know, somebody like me who's been doing this for 800 million years, if I think back to when he had to have that one debate versus Sarah Palin, and essentially mm -hmm. all she had to do to not lose, to, you know, to win was to not lose, was to not yeah. completely yeah. blow it. She do it. She do exceed expectations. I think that Biden needs to make sure that he uh, meets expectations. And what I what I say. What I say about that is that, like, he needs to look presidential. Uh, I saw him a couple weeks at an event, um, and he was sort of mumbling and sort of, uh, he, he, he used some very strange anecdotes, and this is the same week that he brought up, you know, working with segregationists a couple days later. Uh, and, and, and so I think that, like, he needs to sort of, you know, stay kind of more on message, not use bizarre anecdotes, 
not confuse people. I mean, as long as he can sort of look like vaguely presidential, then I think that, you know, he'll be okay because he's still sort of riding on the name recognition. And also, you know, people sort of love Joe Biden. I mean, last night, the only sort of representation of candidates that were like not there, uh, you know, there was a, a Joe Biden ice truck outside that organizers have put together and they weren't part of this campaign. They were, you know, people that actually were passionate about Joe Biden. And there was, you know, lots, lots of signs for Bernie. So, you know, there are there these sort of two candidates that are hovering over everybody else. Uh, and, and so Joe Biden, just, I think, he has, to, he has to look look like he, you know, could, could fill the role, especially against President Trump. And that was one more thing that we were talking about, with the idea of how much time people were going to spend trashing President Trump, trashing the administration, sort of setting themselves up as, I'm the right person to go up against him in a general. Uh, there wasn't as much of that as uh, as maybe uh, I would have expected, certainly. And yeah, Professor Cheryl, right. who was on uh, right before you, said maybe that was a good thing. Maybe people didn't appear to be, you know, sort of lowering themselves. It's more it's more states statesmen or women like to to not go there. What do you think? I think it's kind of a double edged sword, right? Because you don't want to have Trump sort of suck all the oxygen out of the room, but you also don't want it to appear that the Democrats are sort of inflating the point where they're going to doom themselves in the next election. So they had to sort of like walk that line in a way. Um, I, I was I was also surprised that um, that Trump wasn't sort of beaten over the head continuously last night. I actually thought that sort of the most like anti-Trump moment the entire debate was whenever Jay Inslee said that he was that Trump was sort of the biggest threat while everyone else was talking about you know Russia, China, and climate change. He's like, no, it's it's Trump. Um, so it'll be you know I think. Tonight's dynamic is going to be different because you're going to have sort of this mix of like front runners. So I could see, you know, Biden sort of staying about the fray and he'll, you know, possibly just spend his time, you know, not getting into the minutia of like Medicare for all and instead sort of beating Trump over the head. I could see Bernie Sanders doing that as well because he's got his own sort of lane uh, of progressivism that he can he can tout and then sort of say how it would be a good contrast uh, to the president. So, Nikki Schwab, we are out of time. Toughest question of the day. How can people find out more about you and follow you? Oh, amazing. Well, I am at the New York Post. Uh, you can see my author page on our website there. And then I'm also on Twitter at uh, Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, and Schwab spelled like Charles Schwab, or like my dog, Charlie Schwab. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Nikki Schwab of the New York Post, thank you for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And now we come to James's favorite part of the show I think each you week. I like to torture him. I love that. it. You know that. <laughs> Every week you just get a big kick out of it. But it is time for your phone calls. 212-209-2877. I feel like they're really calling me. They are calling you. They are calling you. Call James right now. 212-209-2877. Who did you like in last night's debate? Who do you want to like or not like in tonight's debate? I'm so glad she just that Nikki just said that because that was another standout moment when each person was concisely saying what the biggest threat, you know, uh, threats were. And I know de Blasio had said Russia. Uh, but the one that really did stand out was uh, the biggest threat to the security of the United States is Donald Trump. So. Right. It was interesting. And it, that's another thing about the sort of the mechanics of, of how these really, really super, super debates work. You have 10 people and somebody says, well, I think the biggest, the biggest threat is Iran. And then the next person says, well, I think it's nuclear war. China. And then the next person says, China. Uh, it's China, <laughs> but it's also nuclear war. And then the other person says, yeah, it's all that, but it's also climate change. And then you get these sort of like salad of things 
threats thing. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, de Blasio did come in and say Russia, which was at least set him apart mm -hmm. from some mm -hmm. of the other some of the other responses. So the other thing is we're waiting for the lines. James is just so poised at this. He at is the phone right now. Well, two one two two oh nine two eight seven seven. The other thing we have not talked about, but if you are listening and would like to weigh in is what happened where I live in Queens, the DA's race, the results of that this week. And wow. uh, was it AOC that influenced this? What influenced the results? Or was it the candidate herself? Was it the endorsements of the uh, presidential candidates, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, that helped her uh, carry uh, Tiffany Caban to potential success because the ballots are not uh, the absentees will not be counted until July 3rd so we won't have right a decision which is then. incredible yeah 34 I believe when I checked that night when I asked the Board of Elections because I wanted to see what the margin was 3400 pieces of paper mm -hmm. you know paper ballots out that could be a variety but of I also things. saw some statistic today that it's 6,000 maybe including military or there yeah there's some a, there's other a, number there's well there's yeah. different kinds essentially of different kinds of paper ballots there's uh, what's called and, and they're called different things in different states but there's what's called an affidavit ballot, uh, which is that if you say you're entitled to vote, but you're not in the poll book, there's an emergency ballot, so, you know, which you can fill out a ballot, say, if your scanner uh, isn't working, you can fill out one mm. of those. Uh, there's uh, absentee ballots. There's overseas uh, U.S. citizens. There's military. There's a lot of stuff going on. And you're not even reading off a list and knew all that. No, you I'm obsessed call. with this stuff. Oh, we do. Well, WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're from? Well, my name is uh, Ray from Staten Island. What's up, Ray? And, uh, and uh, I thought the debate was interesting. I, I kind of liked uh, Elizabeth Warren. I was a little surprised at uh, Vito and uh, Cory Booker uh, speaking uh, Spanish. But uh, I thought that uh, Elizabeth Warren had the, uh, you know, the most composure and uh, calm. Did you come into the evening liking somebody in particular? Or did, it, did the debate change your mind or sort of reinforce what you already thought? Uh, I guess it reinforced what I already thought of. I thought of, you know, I was already uh, prejudiced towards, uh, I guess, Elizabeth Warren, you know, knowing the crowd she was going to be uh, debating with. So what I'm curious about is, you know, we're talking about the candidates, but do you feel that the moderators asked the type of questions or brought up the type of issues that you wanted to hear about? Uh, I'm not, I guess... They kind of ask sort of like more like can type of questions, uh, but uh, you know they could have asked you know some more progressive uh, questions, but they didn't seem to. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your call. We definitely appreciate it. We have more calls coming in. If you want to talk to us about the Democratic presidential primary debates, give us a call two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight Seven seven WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, uh, my name is Henry. I'm uh, from the Bronx. Hey, Henry, what do you think? Uh, so, I, you know, what really upset me about the debate was that last portion, you guys touched on it, where all the candidates uh, seem to demonize Russia and China. Um, in this age where you have Trump, who is, uh, you know, trying to start wars with Iran, with Venezuela, with China, um, you know, it's really angering to me to see um, the Democrats who are supposed to be the opposition, the other voice, um, kind of joining in with that and, you know, sounding the war cry. I mean, we all saw how in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, trillions of dollars were wasted 
Uh, millions of lives were lost. And, you know, I, my, my thing, don't you guys think it, it's uh, counterproductive and dangerous for the Democrats to be demonizing uh, Russia and China? Well, I think that uh, look, I mean, I can't, I can't certainly speak for each individual candidate, but I think that there's sort of a combination of what they think, what their uh, counselors and strategists and pollsters tell them is going to play well with the audience, uh, essentially, you know, telling people what they want to hear. Uh, some candidates do that more than others. Uh, some candidates are playing to a certain part of the electorate. Some candidates have sort of a signature issue. Their issue is income inequality, or their issue is climate change, or their issue is uh, taxation and uh, the redistribution of wealth, uh, say, in the case of somebody like Bill de Blasio. And then, of course, you have candidates that always, you know, uh, always try to be everything to everybody, and that's, uh, that's not always a... a successful kind of uh kind of strategy but uh good good question and uh, i really appreciate your call again if you want to give us a call 212-209-2877 212-209-2877 who do you want to see do well tonight and who do you want to see bomb out tonight give us a call wbai you're on the air what's your name and where you're from yes my name is eric and i'm from Long Island. hey what's on your mind today eric well, basically, I was saying the American people always complain, complain, complain. But they're the ones that put Bush in office. I mean, excuse me, they're the ones that put Trump in office. <laughs> yep. So if they want something done, they have to counterattack or come up with some type of new plan to uh, get rid of them. If they put them in, it's up to them to get them out. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And you know what? That's a that's a great point. And that sort of fits in quite nicely with what Jeff was mentioning before about the Queens District Attorney's race, where mm -hmm. you had a remarkably low turnout. It's not like there aren't people who are eligible uh, Democratic voters in Queens. It's an immensely populous borough. There are literally millions of people to uh, who live there. Not all of them, of course, are qualified to vote. Maybe they're not old enough or, uh, you know, maybe they're not registered or they can't vote in a primary because they don't belong to a party. But even with all of that, the remarkably small number of people who voted and oh, the tiny, incredibly small, yeah. tiny, and you, well, you said you showed up and you were number one at your. No, no, I wasn't number one. I was there at 6, 10 a.m. You're, you're number one to me. <laughs> but uh, no, I will say, I mean, I live in Jackson Heights and there was a lot of grassroots uh, engagement going on. I mean, there was a rally right almost right across the street from me at a park. Uh, we're going to take a call in just a moment, but I just want to finish this. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing that the Caban campaign did. And I'm a prime voter, which yes. means I'm getting all the literature. I'm getting the, the robocalls. I'm getting the door, you know, my door being knocked on. That happened multiple times by the Caban campaign. And, you know, we had the, uh, what were you called? The door hanger put on my door. Yeah. We had a postcard mailed to me, allegedly signed by Tiffany. But I'm sure volunteers did it. But if I got it, a lot of people did, which hit my mailbox the day before. Okay. So there was a lot of grassroots effort on her part. And I encourage anyone to kind of go online and look for the map that's out there um, by, I think it's one of the CUNY schools, or maybe the Graduate Center yeah, school that it, did this, um, which shows where all the votes happened that were strong for Caban. Uh, Northwest was largely Caban, but also where Melinda was strong. It was really distributed with Melinda. But one uh, observation was that she was not even strong in the neighborhood where she lives of Forest Hills Kew Gardens. 
yeah, this is, and I, you know, as a matter of fact, I know exactly which map you mean. I think you're talking about the one from uh, Steve Romaleski at uh, Center for Urban Research at yeah, CUNY, it was CUNY. Uh, CUNY Graduate Center. And uh, yeah, just it, really, really interesting to see. But the point is, uh, as the as the uh, gentleman Eric, who was just calling in, said, you know, people want to change. If you want to change what's going on, you get to get out there and vote. And uh, it's it, it really, really, really is up to you. If you are uh, in the sound of this uh, this radio program, uh, it is very easy to find out. You can go to vote.org. Uh, you can go to Rock the Vote. You can go to uh, uh, elections.ny.gov and register to vote. Do it now. Don't wait. And uh, when the when the time comes to actually get out there and vote, show up. And we have another caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Yeah, how you doing? This is Jay from Harlem. Hi, Jay. Quick, quick thing to say. One and one thing to say. Two questions. One. Um, yes, I'm so happy. Come on, one. I called twelve people because I'm in the great uh, nation of Harlem, or in Queens. I used to live in Bayside, Queens. Seven with the high school out there in Van Buren. I called twelve people. You better go out and vote. And not that, oh, anybody, long as you vote. I hate what people say. That's a bunch of nonsense. Go vote for her. Period. You know, and that's what I did. So, I don't know how they voted, but I was campaigning all the way from home. So, whoever was listening, my girl, Kavon, yeah, we was doing that. Now, secondly, um, about this thing, I remember this lady in Brooklyn or something, they stole a bunch of votes. That's, the, where, they, that's where they highlighted it. But, however, that was done in more counties than just Brooklyn. My question is, was that loser fired because she was in position to do what she did, and I believe it came out and it was exposed. She had something to do with uh, her, I forgot what that position even called. And also, did the state or the county put in some proof where it won't happen again, or some safety uh, mechanisms where that won't happen again? And that's that way to the next question of us unseating now um, this Manhattan DA next, this guy on um, side Vance, who doesn't want to go into what uh, this lady has already been proven what she did when she lied and put this, I don't want to say Central Park 5, but quote unquote, you know, and it was, I think, eight initially, but what she did and detectives did, just like when uh, the brother did it in Brooklyn and opened up that, that office for, to help people get exonerated in his own office, um, and unfortunately he, he passed away. I'm saying we need to unseat your side band and put someone in Manhattan that's willing to do that. There are innocent people that are incarcerated. If you can't get with that, get out. Just Thanks. Let go this. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for calling. Oh, yeah. oh, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like we've heard from Jay from Harlem before, actually. Uh, so, yeah, but he's he's uh, there. Were, there was a whole lot going on there. There was a whole lot going yeah. on there, but very interesting. And he mentioned, look, that he does have uh, roots in Queens that he grew up mm-hmm. in, in Bayside, mm-hmm. went to school there. But the fact that he. Uh, still participated in the election even though he couldn't vote in it mm-hmm. that he took the time to call up 12 people and tell them to get out there i think that's that's the kind of thing that really moves elections the uh, the grassroots activity there uh, very very important so i believe we may have another caller on the line no I don't no know we, we don't have another but caller we're about on the line, to because here's f- the number 212 209 <laughs> 
877-212-209-2877. Driving forces here on WBAI. Okay, so as we are waiting for the next caller, because we've only got about uh, five minutes left, looking forward to tonight. Yes. Who are you most you know, ex- you know, know, expecting to make news or to define themselves for the first time for America? Or you know, what are you looking forward to the most? No, I think the pressure's on Joe Biden. I really do. And I think that Bernie Sanders has to make a move. Mm-hmm. And I fully expect him to. Then the interesting thing there, too, is that there's that dynamic. And then how does Kamala Harris, who is a legitimate top tier candidate, break into that? And is is there an opportunity there, sort of a built in opportunity to be like, OK, you know, sorry, old white dudes. But you know what? It's time for a change. And we're going to go to a call. But I do want to point out to our listeners, if you are watching the debate tonight, one of the candidates you will see on that stage has already been on our show on Driving Forces, Eric Swallow. That is true. That is true. And we will soon be having uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. She uh, personally assured me, personally assured me when I saw her at a uh, at an event that was organized by the uh, National Action Network, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton's organization, that she would appear on our program here on WBAI. So, Senator Gillibrand, we are looking forward to having you on the program. But we have a call right now, WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name and where you're from? Welcome uh, to Al. WBAI. Al. Al from Jersey. Hey, Al. What's up? Okay. I th- my one question is why, as America, we're not for America. We're for whatever Israel wants, whatever Saudi Arabia wants, and they're willing to put us to war. That wasn't said. That's not mentioned. And uh, we're so close to going to war, I don't know how many times, with North Korea we need to stop this war wrangling. They do not. They do not. Eat. Any of the contestants on that floor or president do not come out and say it. This has to stop. We don't go to war for any other country but for our Americans. What they will say is American interests. Well, who are the American interests? The oil oligarchs. All the people are getting rich, and we put our boys on the line to kill to get killed and be and and be killed for oligarchs that's all i have to say thank you okay thank you for your call then uh, interesting point there I mean, there's a, again one a uh, lot of a lot of uh, parts of that but uh generally something to take away from that that uh is going to be another thing I'm looking for tonight, which is what are they not talking about? I think, for example, people were really stressed out. Maybe there wasn't, maybe there wasn't quite enough foreign policy in some debates. Uh, uh, people did not think maybe there was enough about climate change. Wanted to hear more about that. And that's and, a good point. Uh, so we'll see maybe if there are topics that they really, really uh, fight to get to that they did not get to cover last night. And we have another person calling in. Yep, WBAI. Call. Hey, how are you? Hi. You. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? Oh, I'm calling from Queens, New York, and um, I, I guess I look forward to uh, Pamela Harris. She'll, she'll do well, and I'm sure uh, Bernie. Uh, as far as Joe, uh, God bless him, but every, we know Joe has a tendency to get in. <laughs> Joe sometimes is his own worst enemy. <laughs> That's a good but, uh, point. Good that point. Does he, does, he, does, he does have a tendency to, he does, he does have a I, slip up once in a while. And I will definitely say I can't help it. I saw the debate last night, some of it, and I don't know what makes some people think. <laughs> what is the voice to tell some of these folks I should run? And I'm definitely talking about our good mayor, and I'm also talking about uh, there was a fella there whose name escapes me, who was going against, he was having a, got a little bit of a role with 
The young woman who was a veteran from Hawaii. Uh, probably the uh, uh, Tim Ryan versus Tulsi Gabbard moment there? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I mean when there are some people who, they hear this voice, they say, you should run. And I'm like, sometimes they, that voice may be telling you to run for the Senate, run <laughs> for something else. I don't know if that's Run, voice run away from politics and not Thank from... you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, we certainly appreciate your call. Thank you very much for uh, calling in from Queens today. So we've got just about a minute, a minute and a half left. Do we have one more call? Are you selling watches? Oh, my God, on the I clock don't, today. On Paul DiRando is up next with the news, and I know everyone wants to hear about that, and James oh God, gets excited about that, too. Oh, my God, you are too, working so. James's side of the so. street every <laughs> week on this now. So I want to thank our guests today, Ken yes. Sherrill and Nikki Schwab, and also, of course, James, who's been terrific as always here for uh uh, for being with us today. Yes, our wonderful engineer. And I'd like to thank you, Jeff Simmons. We <laughs> Thank you. We are off next week. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to be in our place next week uh, because it is Independence Day, July 4th. But tune in and find out for a special surprise. You can find this show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcast. This has been Driving Forces here on WBAI New York. Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz. See you on the radio. Up next, as you heard, at the top of the hour on WBAI, Paul Dorienzo, our man with the nose for news, and the WBAI Evening News. And you're listening to The Sweet Spot on WBAI 99.5 FM. It's the incredible Mr. Roy Ayers. Woo-hoo! Hello.
I love everybody. <laughs> Tune in to The Sweet Spot with Baby K and DJ Kyle McNeil. Tell them what we do, Kyle. Every Thursday at 10 p.m., we will be featuring some of the best in soulful sounds for in-depth interviews with your favorite artists, special theme shows, and, you know, guest hosts. Yeah, it's a pretty good time, ain't it? Yep, because we're The Sweet Spot, Thursdays. 10 p.m. only on WBAI 99.5 FM, streaming online at WBAI.org. Listener-sponsored community radio. This is listener-sponsored, people-powered radio, WBAI New York. Are you interested in contributing to independent community radio? Engage in governance by becoming a candidate for the WBAI Local Station Board. June 30th is the deadline to run. For more information, visit us online at elections.pacifica.org. Again, that's elections.pacifica.org. Or leave a voicemail at 510-854-9663. 510-854-9663. You're listening to WBAI New York. The time now is 6 o'clock.